Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Jeffrey Link. He is an investment advisor at Guardian Wealth Advisors, founder of the Blue Line Investing Process, and has come out with a new book called Protecting the Pig, how stock market trends reveal the ways to grow and preserve your wealth. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Jeff. Thank you, Jordan. It's great to be with you today. Just tell us a little bit of your history and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a, a great start. Um, I actually got into the industry back in 1996. I, I started as an investment consulting analyst for Smith Barney, and I did that for about two years. And then I ended up transitioning to become an advisor in late 1997. And... From 1997 for the next couple of years as I started building my, my clientele, um, if you may remember that just three years after that, we went into the stock market top of 2000. And so for the next three years from 2000 to 2003, early 2003, the stock market lost over 50% of its value um, from top to bottom. And so then the next couple of years, the market re- recovered a bit. But then in 2007, it topped again. And then it ended up turning down and lost over 50% again from top to bottom from 2007, late 2007 into early 2009. And so for me, those were two very, uh, very memorable experiences, very significant experiences in my career. And what I decided was I, I didn't think that that made a lot of sense to invest money the way that I had been investing it up to that point. So I decided to try a different approach. And through my research, I discovered that even though there were different events that caused the stock market tops, they, they actually followed, the downturns followed very similar patterns. And it was those patterns that I think can be useful to help people limit their catastrophic losses. So you came up with the idea of blue line investing. A blue line is a kind of a technical support line, is that right? So describe the concept behind blue line investing. Yeah, sure. So it was actually um, early on, it was a really simple situation. I, I, I was actually amazed at how simple it seemed. When the markets were rising, one of the um, moving averages, uh, happened, it happened to be blue on my screen. So that's why I call it blue line investing. And whenever there were price corrections, um, basically the markets or the investment would drop down. And there were a lot of times where it would tap the blue line and then jump off of it and it would keep rising higher when the markets were rising. And then in both 2000 as well as in 2008, what was interesting is once the, once the markets changed trend, um, when they actually started turning down, when price fell below the blue line, every rally, it would come back up to the blue line and literally stop on a dime and turn away. And I thought it was really amazing to see that literally the way that price was behaving in relation to that one line was help, would help people recognize that, hey, if we're bouncing off of it and we're going higher, that's a rising trend. And if we're basically falling underneath it and then we can't get back above it, that typically is what happens when you're in a declining trend. And just recognizing that simple little little differential really took me from where that, that was many years ago to where I am today. So tell us what are the components of the blue line? It's a moving average over what period of time and how can people get access if they don't have to draw it themselves? How can they actually see the blue line and see if they're above or below the line? Yeah, the, the, this particular blue line, um, even though I reference it in my book, I never, I never share any with anyone with what it is. And it actually does change based on the time period you're looking at the markets. So whether you're looking at the markets from a, a daily perspective or a weekly perspective or a monthly perspective, it's a different, it's a different line. Um, same concept, just a different, different moving average. So it's anybody can get access to these kinds of technical indicators through services like StockCharts.com or SlickCharts.com, to name just two of many. So they don't know what goes in it, but they just see it, basically. Well, the blue line is nothing that we're creating, right? It's just literally a representation of what price has done over a previous predetermined period of time. So if you want to take away the nuances and the noise of any given day, then a a moving average is, is nothing more than a previous number's previous days of price behavior smoothed out so you can kind of get a more consistent um, price behavior over time. So is the length of the blue line you use dependent on what kind of investor you are? If you're a short-term investor, you might use a, a weekly or monthly blue line. If you're a long-term investor, you might use an annual one. What, what 
length of time blue line should you use depending on what kind of investor you are? Well, again, the, the, I call it blue line investing just because of this this one particular line that, that I've become accustomed to over the past 10 years. It, it's just with the way that I do what I do, that's my main focus. But you're correct. If, if, if somebody is a day trader, they're going to use a, you know, a, a much different moving average than what I'm using. Um, I'm looking more at the long term, the bigger picture primary trend, where somebody who's a day trader will use something different. Somebody who's doing things maybe on a weekly basis will do something different. So the, the nice thing about technical analysis is that people can find different indicators that mesh with what they're trying to do. For me particularly, I'm trying to identify when a, a major trend correction may be coming or a major change in trend like what happened in the year 2000, like what happened with the Japanese stock market top in 1989 or what happened with the, the market top at 2007 to 2008. So is this something you only use for broad market trends or for individual stocks and ETFs and mutual funds as well? That's a great question. Um, for me personally, I find that it works best when you're dealing with indices or sector ETFs. Uh, that's where I focus most of my attention is with sector ETFs or broad ETFs. Um, what I find is that if you use individual stocks, and it, it can be it can be useful for that as well, the challenge with individual stocks is that you can have a news event that creates big swings in price. So when you can actually use what I'm doing from the standpoint of um, being able to take a basket of, of companies, so let's just say that it's 50 stocks that all happen to be technology-related stocks, you can eliminate a lot of that that noise that one stock might create because of a news event, and you're really just looking at the broad exposure for that sector, because ultimately what I'm looking for is to try to determine is that sector or is that particular investment in a rising trend, in a declining trend, or is it in a consolidating or sideways trend? So what are you finding today? We've had an enormous rise in the stock market since the March lows. Uh, where do we stand on the broader uh, blue line trends right now? Well, um, the good news right now is that the markets that I follow predominantly are above the blue line. And so from that standpoint, that's constructive. Um, the one thing to understand about all of this is that the, the blue line itself for me represents that that indicator that I like to follow that I believe helps identify when that trend may be changing. Uh, but even with the blue line, you're going to have a lot of noise, right? You're going to have prices that are going to fluctuate up and down through and, and above the, the different blue line. And so ultimately right now with what's happening today, for instance, is, is really, in my opinion, not that big of a deal. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a daily blip. Whereas um, what I'm more interested in looking at is, okay, what has been the trend for the past, you know, past number of years and what should we be looking at or what am I looking at to recognize when that trend might be changing, when there may be what um, what I would call distribution where the, the smart money is recognizing that there may be future problems and wants to start selling their shares back to the market and get more defensive, whereas the, the more um, un uneducated retail investor might be just hearing what they're reading on the news and, and, and that's what they're making their decisions on. So uh, is that likely uh, to have a distribution and have a major breakdown from this huge bull market we've had recently? What are the signs you're looking for to see we would get to such a market break? Yeah, so that's a great question. So for me, what I find is that there's understanding two primary types of investors is helpful in answering that question. You know, individual investors, it's very easy to sell your investments and, and get defensive if you want to. Like in your case, Jordan, if you wanted to sell all of your stock investments, you probably can hit a button on your computer or have someone do that for you. And literally, if you wanted to sell everything you owned, you could get out in a, in a, in a, in a nanosecond. But if you're a big institution, if you're a foundation or an endowment or something like that, you, you can't. If you own 50,000 shares of, of a large company or, or 100,000 shares of a large company, you can't just sell it all at one time because you're going to move the market. You know, you're going you're gonna to force lower prices that you don't really want to be selling at. So you have to use time to your advantage. And when you're using time to your advantage, you're basically selling some here. You may buy some back. You may sell some more, buy some back. But ultimately, you're trying to reduce the exposure that you don't want. You're trying to sell those shares. And so it's kind of like with what happened with Boeing this year. Boeing actually, um, just mentioning an individual stock, 
Um, I found it fascinating that Boeing went through almost the exact same pattern as the stock market top from 2000 and 2008, um, as well as other times in history. And I, I would answer your question by saying in the case of Boeing, what I think has happened is that people wanted to get out of Boeing. They saw problems coming months in advance of, of what happened earlier this year. And you can see that through the price behavior. And ultimately, when Boeing finally broke down, it broke down in a, in a significant way. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Jeffrey Link. He's an investment advisor at Guardian Wealth Advisors and founder of the Blue Line Investing Process. Uh, he has got a new book out called Protecting the Pig, How Stock Market Trends Reveal the Way to Grow and Preserve Your Wealth. You can find out more about that at the website for the book, which is protectingthepig.com. We'll be back after this. Wish you were in early on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. With our crowd, accredited investors can have access to invest easily, directly, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies going IPO like Beyond Meat or being bought out by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. Their in-depth due diligence includes meeting with management teams and generally comprehensive vetting of deals they decide to make part of their portfolio. Once our crowd has selected a deal, they offer accredited investors the opportunity to invest alongside them with the same terms. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers and review the current deals. No payment is involved until you decide to participate in a deal. As you review deals, you have access to our crowd's investor relations team, who you can talk to directly on the phone about your personal investment goals. The investment professionals at our crowd have already reviewed thousands of companies, invested hundreds of millions of dollars, closed investments in over 200 companies, and chosen dozens of companies that have made exits. Accredited investors can participate in a single company deal for as little as $10,000 or one of our crowd's funds for as little as $50,000. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Cyabra, which is an AI-enabled platform that uncovers online disinformation and deep fakes. As disinformation becomes increasingly threatening to global brands, media, and governments, Cyabra reports that it's uniquely positioned to serve this potential $6.1 billion market. You can get in early on Cyabra and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash answers. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. The our crowd account is free, so just go to OURCROW.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is your uh, host, Jordan Goodman, and my guest is Jeffrey Link. He's an investment advisor at Guardian Wealth Advisors, founder of the Blue Line Investing Process. He's got a new book out called Protecting the Pig. How Stock Market Trends Reveal the Way to Grow and Preserve Your Wealth. You can find out more at the website for the book, protectingthepig.com. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thank you, Jordan. You've got a chapter called Straw, Sticks, or Bricks, the different kinds of strategies you can use. Why don't you tell people what strategies there are and how blue line investing can help you with, depending on your strategy? Sure. Well, actually, I, I think ultimately the, the thing I would want to share with people is to understand how those different um, strategies will behave in different trends. And so as we mentioned a moment ago, there's really three different primary trends. The late Richard Russell, founder of Dow Theory Letters, always talked about either there being a rising primary trend. Uh, it's kind of think, thinking along the lines of taking two steps forward and one step back. A declining primary trend where you take two steps down, you know, two steps down and one step up, or a sideways trend which goes sideways. And so, different people, what I've found throughout my career is that different investors will utilize different strategies and not really understand the difference. So, in the book, we talk about, um, I talk about three different particular strategies one called buy and hold, one I call buy and substitute, and then the last one is buy and sell. And really understanding that those three different strategies, which most investors are using some form of, are going to behave differently depending upon the trend that's prevailing. So as an example, a lot of people will utilize the buy and hold strategy, and that's a strategy that I would call being on autopilot. Uh, So basically when someone makes an investment, whether it's in a stock mutual fund or an individual stock, or maybe a portfolio of exchange-traded funds or ETFs, typically when they buy those, they're going to just hold them no matter what. So whether the market trend from thereafter goes up or down, they're in, they're not really concerned about that. They're just going to hold them. And so from a concept standpoint, I like to think about that as an autopilot, because if you're in an airplane and you're flying and there's a storm on the horizon, basically that autopilot is going to stay engaged. The pilot's not going to change course. You're going to fly right through the storm and people need to be aware of that. And so then what some people do, I've found, is they'll hire an investment professional. This is early in my career. I used to be what I would call a broker. Um, And so basically, I would utilize a strategy called buy and substitute. And how that's similar is that basically somebody would be um, making their investment decisions but again, what's, what would happen is they would end up looking at investments or their professional would look at investments and they might want to make a substitution. So maybe they had a, a growth-oriented mutual fund, stock mutual fund, that they didn't like the performance. They wanted to substitute another one. So it was always about staying fully invested, but just substituting out the pieces. And by doing that, you, you know, I kind of liken that to like having a first officer as your you know, that's in charge of the portfolio. Um, somebody else is making the decisions of what to buy and sell, but then there's somebody else who's making the decision of, you know, which particular strategy, which particular investment is going to be the main investment. Yeah. And then the last one would be buy and sell. And, and that's the one that I think more investors, especially nowadays, should really be considering. Uh, and that's where basically you're utilizing the pilot. You know, if you're in a situation where there's something going on with your portfolio and with the market, maybe the trend is changing. Maybe we're going through some warning signs that risk is increasing. Then instead of thinking about taking something out and exchanging it with something that's similar or substituting it, I believe at that point is where people need to ask themselves, should I actually sell something and actually hold cash or cash equivalents instead of actually putting something else similar in? Should I actually be avoiding that storm by taking off autopilot, changing course, and trying to steer around the storm rather than going straight through like the other two? Particularly what happened this year, for example. We had a major storm where the COVID came along. The stock market fell sharply in February and March. Normally, you'd think 
that's a storm I want to avoid. And yet, had you done that, you would have missed this enormous uh, rebound from those lows. So how would it work in a situation like this where you have a, a major change that caused the market to fall and making most people panic and staying out and missing the upside? Yeah, so there's a couple things. So it all depends on the different investor, right? Um, I know some stories of some people that sold out at the bottom. Um, but I also know of stories of people who added some protective hedges before the storm hit. So ultimately, you know, when the, the market's going down, just because you have some or maybe all of your money invested in the stock market, it doesn't mean that all of that money has to go down with the stock market in a like manner. So people, if you, if you use a strategy that's more proactive rather than reactive, and so as an example, buy and sell or buy low, sell high, you know, I would consider that a proactive strategy. And then the buy and hold, that autopilot version, that's going to be basically a, a reactive strategy. It's just going to happen and you're going to wake up and look at your account one day and say, shoot, you know, that's not, that wasn't what I really was going for. Sure. But if you're looking for those warning signs, and, and, and sometimes they're easier to spot than others, there can be signs before markets turn down to give you a heads up that something just doesn't seem right. So did that happen an, this year? Did your warning signs kick off in February before the market fell that something wasn't right and it was time to go to cash? Yeah, so yes, to some degree, and I want to be careful that I don't, you know, again, I want to be careful. I'm, I'm actually here as an author, so I want to be careful with what I say due to regulations in our industry. Sure. Um, but in terms of this year, there were two things that happened. Um, in my book, I talk in one of the chapters about the three historical phases that I've documented that typically the markets will go through before they go through a major change. And it's, I call them phase one is a warning, phase two is um, failure, and then phase three is confirmation. And so typically when we fall through the blue line, when the, the price of an investment falls through the blue line by at least 5%, I consider that a warning that there could be a change in trend. Then when price recovers or rallies, if it literally can't get back through the blue line on the rally, that's what I call a failure, phase two failure because now the market is suggesting that the trend might be changing because we're now falling under the blue line and not being able to get back above it. Um, this year was one of those years where we went through those two phases and it was after phase two that the markets just, just completely took off up to the downside, just fell sharply. So if you know how to look at those phases and you can say to yourself, I want to consider taking some preventative action or maybe put some protective hedges in your portfolio or reduce your risk. Those are the proactive things that I think investors can do with a buy and sell or proactive investment strategy that a buy and hold strategy is never going to, to anticipate. It's just going to react to whatever the markets do. So you're saying that there was never confirmation this year. You had the first two phases, but you never got the full confirmation and therefore you would have stayed invested. Correct. So ultimately, the phase three confirmation typically is the, in my opinion, at least historically, should you get to that phase, that's kind of your last warning from the market that the market is suggesting, hey, this is your last chance that if this thing is going to go down, the odds are increasing that we're looking at a much larger, much prolonged downturn. And this is really where you want to make any last strategic decisions if you're given that opportunity. Typically, what percentage, just roughly, from the peak to the trough, would that be? Is it 20%? Is it 50%? I'm mean, just give a rough idea of if you hit confirmation, like in 2008, what kind of percentage are we talking about? Usually? Yeah, usually from the very top, you're usually within 15%. And sometimes, you know, I usually measure things like I did in the book for the 1969 top, the 2000 top, and the 2008 top. You're looking at, you know, basically, you know, give or take 10 to 15% within the very top and usually within five or 10% of that blue line. So the, the, the goal is for investors, in my opinion, if you can have a entry point for new money where you're buying into an investment at the blue line, then basically you're trying to do so under the guise that if I can have an exit strategy that gets me out, hopefully close to where I got in, then if you do go through a situation where you literally buy in at the wrong time and your timing just is unfortunate as the story in chapter one of the book, the individual that went through that, then ultimately you want to be able to say, how can I ultimately try to reduce my risk and get out with the least amount of damage and the least amount of loss if that's possible? 
And that's what the phase one, two, and three is really designed to identify. But you're definitely taking a loss. You're not selling at the peak. You're selling when the loss is confirmed that it's going to go further. Yeah, yeah, what you're doing is you're trying to say markets are going to basically be volatile. So ultimately, if you can go ahead and have a way to say the tr- the primary trend, there's a high likelihood it's changing. And when historically these, uh, these situations occur, you're looking at multiple years of time lost. And you're looking at losses that could be anywhere from 40 to 50 to even more percent loss from top to bottom yeah, over that window of time. Point. Yes, indeed. Very good. All right, we're going to uh, end it right there. My guest this half hour has been Jeffrey Link. Uh, he is an investment advisor at Guardian Wealth Advisors. He founded the Blue Line investing process we discussed today. His book is called Protecting the Pig, How Stock Market Trends Reveal the Way to Grow and Preserve Your Wealth. You can find out more about it at the website for the book, which is protectingthepig.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Jeff. Thank you, Jordan. I enjoyed being here. Thank you, and we'll be back next uh, in the next half hour uh, with our new, new guest, uh, who is uh, Eric Brotman. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Eric Brotman. He is president and managing principal of Brotman Financial Group and is also the author of several books. His most recent one is called Don't Retire, Graduate. Uh, Welcome to the show, uh, Eric. Thanks, Jordan. Glad to be here. So uh, just give us a little bit of your background before we get into the specific book. Uh, I have been a, a certified financial planner practitioner since the late 90s, uh, started my financial practice in the mid 90s, uh, and am the CEO of a group now that has 21 employees, and, and we represent 500 families in, 20, in, in uh, 31 states. So uh, we've, we've quite literally taken over the map, and, uh, and that's been a ton of fun for us. And also host a podcast and do some writing and, and you know, just trying to, to spread the word about financial freedom. So this book, uh, you take people's lives as though it's a college course. and You take them through freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, kind of in, in parallel to their lives. Uh, how should people kind of think of their financial lives 
as though they're going through college. And we're going to get into the details, but just kind of give us the overall vision you had here. Well, not everyone's life is linear, Jordan. As you'd expect, there's there's plenty of twists and turns for all of us. But generally, there are certain milestones and certain things that you can expect. And uh, as young professionals, you really are trying to figure out things like your employee benefits for the first time and maybe student loans and cash management and budgeting. Uh, and then maybe you're looking at your first home or starting a family or getting married. Uh, and then at some point, you start thinking about wealth management and and turning that into income and and, you know, you fast forward a little further and you're talking about um, not only preserving wealth, but maybe intergenerational wealth or, or things that are more important than money, like like uh, visions and values and, and having a purpose in life. So we really try and take, take people from where they are. And, you know, like you can be a freshman or you can be a transfer student and show up junior year. So let's start with some of the things as a freshman. One of the first things is to pay yourself first. So a lot of younger people feel like they make a relatively small amount and can barely survive, how can they pay themselves first if they're barely being able to make their rent with what they're earning today? It's a fair question. And sometimes that involves getting roommates, which I know in the area of COVID is maybe not as popular as it had been before. Um, sometimes it means having a side hustle or a, a second uh, a second employment so that you can have additional resources. Some of it's just basic budgeting. But, you know, there are a lot of a lot of cases where paying yourself first might just mean making an extra large payment to your student loan. So at some point, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, maximizing a 401k, for example. It might just be that you're chipping away at the principal on some debt uh, or that you're, you're contributing to your accounts at least enough to get your employer match because that's, that's the ultimate in returns. It's, it's immediate. So um, there are small things that young people can do, um, but a lot of them really do require uh, enough of an income to, to be able to do that or, or a way to cut expenses. It's not easy for everyone, for sure. And then you talk about regaining control of your debt. I mean, particularly people coming out of college with all the student loan debt and even credit card debt and their income being kind of minimal, how can they uh, regain control over their debt? Well, sometimes there are ways to refinance debt. Sometimes there are ways just to structure debt payments strategically. So in, in a lot of cases, and it's not just young people, for, for all people, um, there tends to be a, a, a thought process to, for example, make a house payment before you make a credit card payment because you're afraid of losing your home and so, and so forth. So, And while you definitely want to make that minimum mortgage payment, um, there are people who are trying to pay extra toward some loans rather than others. And a lot of times they're not looking at it from an after-tax perspective or they're not looking at it from an interest rate perspective or even from a cash flow perspective. So in the book, we talk about strategies and ways to, to order your debts such that you get the, the best possible outcome. Then you talk about building the moat around your financial castle risk management what are some of the things you need to do for risk management? Well, you know, we talk about building wealth as building our castle. That's what we, we use to protect not only our assets, but our families and loved ones and so forth. The moat is your risk management. It's your defense. Some of it's insurance, some of it's legal documents, some of it's tax planning. It means having the right insurance against, for example, liability. I mean, the biggest risk most of us face is driving a car and being sued because of a fender bender. Um, it means having the right disability insurance for young people. It might mean some long-term care solutions for older folks. Um, but it's trying to make, not to insure against every risk, but to insure just enough to pass the risks that you can't bear. And so it is, it is definitely not trying to make folks insurance poor. It's making sure that T's are crossed and I's are dotted and that you can keep invaders out of your, out of your castle, out of your wealth. So look at what's happened this year. I mean, people maybe didn't think of a risk, but the risk of getting COVID-19 and 220,000 people dying, they weren't exactly counting on that. So how can you uh, prepare against that kind of risk? Well, ultimately, I don't think a pandemic was on any of our plans for the year when we structured what is 2020 going to look like. Um, the first thing is you can maintain um, the right health insurance, and that's in the event you get sick because these these hospitalizations have been very expensive. Um, for older people, you can maintain long-term care insurance. And then for basically everyone with an income to protect, there's life insurance options. So there's there's ways, not that any of us want to face mortality early, but there's ways to try and offset what would be your loss of human life value in the event you died early. And some of that can be as, as simple as term insurance for somebody who's of working age to make sure that the paycheck continues even if he or she isn't here. You talk about the three different kinds of whole life or cash value policies, whole life, universal life, and variable life. What is the best bet in the long run uh, as far as putting money away if you want to do cash value uh, insurance? 
I'm a fan of whole life insurance and for, for a number of reasons. One, it's not interest sensitive in the same way as universal. Two, it's not market sensitive like the variable piece. And three, you can structure these contracts to be short pay contracts so that, you know, the, the whole life contracts that I like are where you make 10 premiums uh, and then you have the coverage for the rest of your life. And so we're seeing married couples use this as a way to offset the pay cut when one of them is widowed. And we don't often think about this, but the reality is if Social Security is paying both a husband and a wife or both spouses and one of them dies, you lose the lower of the two payments. So if you have whole life insurance on each of you, the, let's say the, the wife survives the husband, as, as often happens. In that case, the wife would receive the husband's death benefit, income tax-free, and the wife would presumably be able to start using her own cash value as a potentially fully tax-free way to, to access additional capital to offset the fact that Social Security stopped or that a pension isn't at 100% um, or just to, to add an influx of capital. So, you know, we like that as a substitute potentially for holding fixed income, for holding bonds that are paying next to nothing, for holding cash that's paying truly a fraction of a point. And so it, it becomes a forced savings vehicle. It's also, from a tax perspective, nearly perfect. You never have to pay taxes on it if you do it right. Are you a believer in the so-called bank-on-yourself way of using uh, whole life insurance? Uh, I, I am to an extent and, and actually have done that. Um, my whole life insurance that I, that I own, um, actually my parents had the foresight to buy some for me when I was 14 years old, and I used that to buy my own home, my first home. Um, then I then I wound up paying that loan back, and I used it to start this company in 2003 when we started the new firm. So I have banked on myself. My my whole life insurance number one paid for the two biggest purchases of my life: my first home and my business. And number two, in 2008 and nine, when there was really people running for the hills and and there was no place to hide, um, whole life insurance was one of only two or three things that that made money that year. Yep. So at the end of the day, yeah, I do believe that it's it's good to have your own collateral. Um, there are really inexpensive, easy ways to access it, and, and I think it's valuable. You have a chapter on picking financial advisors. A, a lot of younger people don't feel they have enough money to get a financial advisor, and therefore they've gone to the Robin Hoods of the world and robo-advisors. Is that a good idea, or is it, when does it make sense to actually get a, uh, inhuman, uh, or a human advisor to deal with? I think everyone's a little bit different. Some people can get an app and have an algorithm and feel like they're getting the advice they need and others need more of handholding. Think of it like the difference between having an, an app for your fitness or a personal trainer. Um, ultimately, I, I do think that the Robin Hoods and the Betterments and the facets of the world have a, a place, particularly for young people, because it's a, it's a way for them to gain some advice inexpensively. I think as an organization, you know, our firm has made a point uh, to do a financial planning for all and to have some resources that are either free or very inexpensive so that we can reach different generations. And then, of course, we do have a wealth management arm that is for the, the higher net worth, higher income families. And I think it's a continuum. So it is better to get some financial advice than none, as long as it's reputable advice, um, whether that's from a, a, an algorithm or a computer program or whether it's from a firm. The next part of your book is the sophomore year, which you call selecting a major. So what do you mean that this is like your, your core or peak earning years? What, what does it you mean by selecting a major? Well, this, this is the moment where you, you're going to figure out what your accumulation trajectory needs to be. So this is where you're going to say, I'm going to go down the road of, um, of, of owning real estate, or I'm going to go down the road of starting a family, or you know, we're going to plan for private or public school. Like You're going to make some really big financial decisions during that sophomore year that are going to impact what your replacement need is going to be later. So um, if, if you start looking at, um, you know, you're in your, your late 30s, 40s, even 50s, and you're making the kind of money where you have a tax issue, it's time to start figuring out how you're going to replace that and, and what kinds of things you can do to offset uh, some of those costs of, of earning a big living. And so, but you will have made these choices along the way, and and it's it's almost like a like a, a Venn diagram. These choices all overlap in various ways, and you have to determine which which path you're going to follow. Are you going to follow a path where you're going to work until you die? Are you going to follow a path where you're looking to be financially independent at 46, uh, or somewhere in between? And what does financial independence look like for you? Does it look like one home instead of two? Does it look like a yacht in the Mediterranean? Or does it, does it look like, um, you know, not living in, in mom and dad's basement anymore? I mean, it could be different for everybody. 
you've got a chapter on uh, the children are more expensive than people think. A lot of people are not having kids today because they're so worried about the expense. Are people underestimating what's involved with raising kids in, in today's market? Uh, big time, big time. The the costs, the way that costs uh, spiral when you have children begins with health insurance and your benefit increases. It, it it continues as they get older on things like education and things like even auto insurance and, and liability and those kinds of things. Plus, you know, your kids, they outgrow their wardrobe every nine to 12 months. And it starts to get expensive to, to have a, additional mouths to feed and, and to dress them. I consider it about a million dollar uh, expense to have per child um, when you consider the cost of living plus the cost of education plus some of the ancillary things that come along the way. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Denver of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Eric Brotman. He's president and managing principal of Brotman Financial Group. Uh, he has just come out with a new book called Don't Retire, Graduate, Building a Path to Financial Freedom and Retirement at Any Age. And there's a website related to the book, which is don'tretiregraduate.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Eric Brotman, President and Managing Principal of the Brotman Financial Group and author of a new book called Don't Retire, Graduate. And there is a website related to the book, which is don't retire, graduate.com. Welcome back to the show, Eric. Thanks, Jordan. So we went through the freshman and sophomore year kind of quickly, and now we're in the junior year, which is what you call gaining influence and acumen. What are some of the key things you need to do during the junior year of your life? During the junior year of your life, you have to start positioning assets for income, and you have to start specifically determining uh, how you're going to do some of your tax planning. It's, it's, it's a game that all of us have to play. We all have to figure out, for example, should I be at that stage in my life contributing to an IRA or a Roth IRA, a 401k or a Roth 401k? Um, how are uh, my health savings accounts being utilized? Um, uh, is, my, is my debt going to be gone when I retire um, or not? And so those kinds of things start to become overarching decisions. And, you know, you start managing your portfolio differently when you're maybe in your mid-50s than you do in your mid-30s. You know, you start to think, all right, at some point, I'm going to need to turn this portfolio into an income if I either don't have the paycheck I do now or it's smaller. And if that's the case, you really have to be ready. It's a different skill set. You said that estate planning isn't only for the rich. The common view is... Uh, the exemptions are very high, and I don't really need to worry about estate planning. Uh, what, what is the misconception with that? Well, the misconception is that estate planning is all about estate taxes. It's not. Estate tax planning is mostly for very wealthy people, but estate planning means making sure that your wishes are conveyed and are followed. And I think for a lot of people, the most important thing that you're doing with your estate plan is naming someone who can step into your shoes for financial or medical decisions if you can't. If you're in an accident and you're in the hospital and someone needs to make medical decisions, who's it going to be? You don't want to be in a situation where your spouse shows up and so does your mother and they're disagreeing with the physician. Uh, you want to make sure that your financial affairs can be handled. Uh, and those aren't in wills. Those are in durable power of attorney or living wills or advanced directives. And then the will is critically important if you have children. 
especially, but in general it's important because if you don't have a will, the state you live in has a will for you and you may not like it. So it allows you to control who the guardian is for your kids if they're minors, who the trustee is going to be if you're leaving money to young children, or even to children who are 23 and you don't want to leave them with a, a nest egg that could ruin them. I mean, there, there, are, there are sophisticated estate planning mechanisms that aren't expensive, but that matter at almost any level of wealth. You've got a whole section on what you call asset titling, or what assets go in what name, yours, your spouse's, your kids. What are some of the general rules about who should be owning different kinds of assets? Um, a couple of things. One, uh, cars should never be titled jointly, simply because it opens up both spouses to liability in the event one of them's in an accident. There's some creative ways to, to try and shelter that. Um, homes typically should be in both names. However, there are lots of different kinds of joint ownership. There's tenants by the entireties in some states, which is uh, extra liability protection for married people. There's joint tenants with rights of survivorship, or there's tenants in common, which are completely different and are treated differently when someone dies. So um, understanding how your joint assets work makes sense. Uh, And not only is the asset titling important, but then the beneficiary designations are incredibly important because any account you have that has a beneficiary, that beneficiary supersedes anything in your will. So if your beneficiary names your firstborn child and you forgot to change it and now you have three kids, two of them are being uh, disinherited even if your will says share and share alike. Yeah. Now you go on to the senior year, which you call making your mark and presenting your thesis. So this is your final uh, chapter of your life. What are some of the main things people need to do to graduate with honors, I guess you might say? Well, well, first, you want to be in a position where you're financially independent so that no, you don't have to rely on other people, particularly your kids or grandkids, to take care of you. Uh, you want to make sure that your ducks are in a row, not only from an estate standpoint, but from a, a health care standpoint. Those are very expensive. Uh, but you also want to share things that, that matter more than money. Things like uh, like your stories, your visions, your values, the, the kinds of things that really should be digital. Um, you know, we encourage people to do videos uh, and, to, and to really share those stories because a lot of times young kids grow up and they either didn't meet their grandparents or certainly their great-grandparents or they don't remember them. And so it's nice to be able to leave those stories within your family and to really create legacy. There's also ways with philanthropy to make a huge difference and to leave a legacy at a, at a charitable organization or more than one that are important to you. Um, maybe to leave uh, donor advised funds or, or family, uh, family um, partnerships of some kind or, or some kind of foundation even if you're wealthy so that you can leave your kids in a, in a position to have influence. But really it's about, it's about transitioning your story and your values more than just your stuff. You also talked about preparing assets to create income. Now, in today's environment, we were in less than 1% on 10-year treasuries and pretty much zero on cash. What are some things people can do to create income if they've got some assets? You know, this is a very tough time to create income. There are certainly ways to create income with, with dividends. Um, there's certainly still ways to do it with real estate, although you've got to be awfully careful um, because particularly commercial real estate is, is tenuous right now. Um, I think one of the ways that various generations can create income, if you have the right relationship, is intrafamily loans. I mean, you you might have grandma and grandpa with a couple of CDs at 1% or 1.5%, and at the same time, their grandchildren are buying their first homes and and borrowing money or or using a line of credit or or paying for school. There may be ways to do intrafamily transfers where grandma and grandpa get a better return and get to feel good about helping a family member as well. So... There, you really have to think outside of the norm in these kind of scenarios. Um, I do think it's real important to avoid any type of total return bond right now because those funds, um, when interest rates start to revert, those funds are going to get hurt. And I think it's real important to manage to maturities rather than to manage in a, in a sort of amorphous bucket. You have a chapter on to move or not to move. That's the question. What are some of the considerations when people are getting older about whether they should sell their big homes and downsize or even go into a continuing care community or something like that? Um, one of the considerations, of course, is health, um, and, and the other is financial. Um, but there's also this question of can you age in place? You know, what does the 70-year-old version of you see for the 80-year-old version of you? None of us like to think of ourselves less capable, but quite frankly, as we get older, sometimes that's what happens. So if you're in a home um, and it doesn't have to be a massive home. You could be in a town home, but if it's got three or four flights of stairs, 
you know, you're begging for a problem at some point. Um, I, I do think for some people, condominium living is a great thing. And for others, it would be dreadful. Um, some would rather have a, a ranch home and, and just not have any stairs. Some would rather be in an over 55 active community and some would prefer uh, the continuing care community with some assisted living options. So I do think it makes sense, but you also have to look at things like geography. Are you close enough to your loved ones, your family, your hobbies, um, your, your, your physicians? You know, it's not enough just to say, what is the physical space? There's also a, where are we going to put it? And am I close to my grandkids and so forth? Yeah. So to kind of sum up, what difference would it make in people's life to think of your life as a college degree, as opposed to the way most people think, which is kind of a jumble. They don't really have a a long-term plan in doing all these things. I think the biggest one is that we stop looking at life like it stops the day we retire. Retirement, it sounds awful. It's to, to disappear or to retreat. Uh, and I actually think particularly with folks living longer and often living healthier, retirement should be something you celebrate. So we call it a graduation. Graduate to the next iteration of yourself. Go to do the next thing. It doesn't have to be for money. If you're fortunate enough to have financial independence, find a, a volunteer opportunities or family opportunities or, or do consulting or do something that really gets you excited. But if you don't have a reason to get out of bed every morning, you're eventually going to stop doing it. And, and people don't thrive. So to me, if you look at it like an academic pursuit, you look at the end as commencement. That is not the end of something. It's really a springboard to the next thing. So I, I think it creates a, a little bit more fun. Um, and it certainly makes you think about how you're still growing and still learning and still evolving, even when maybe you, you've given up the, the full-time job. How has the whole coronavirus pandemic changed the way people look about this? I mean, people who are older, staying in, they're worried about getting it. They don't want to go to nursing homes. People aren't going out to movies. I mean, it's changed the whole way people look at things. How does that apply specifically to your vision in this book? I don't think it. I don't think it. It makes a huge difference to the individual. Uh, you know, on the whole, I think there are folks who are much more afraid of COVID than others, and I think there are folks who are still being socially active. I, I do think it's changed the way we we take in ed- entertainment and content and and certainly meals and those kinds of things. Um, it certainly means living in a city or living in a multi-unit dwelling, a condo building or some kind of high-rise is less appealing right now. No question about that. But in terms of staying plugged in, there are ways to do it even over Zoom. Uh, and while I know that's not as fulfilling, it, it let's hope it's temporary and, and folks are still looking to graduate to the next piece, even if right now they're not traveling a whole lot. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Eric Bratman. His new book is called Don't Retire, Graduate. Uh, you can see more about it at his website, which is don'tretiregraduate.com. I think we got some very good ideas out there. Uh, So thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Eric. Thank you, Jordan. I enjoyed it. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.